you bring all that stuff, whatever your experiences are, whatever you went through, you bring it into your, your parenthood. So when you become a father, how your father treated you, how your father parented, the model that he created, the example that he set, you're probably going to start working from it. Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience? Too much yelling, not enough play? There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you. You feel like you're screwing everything up and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud. This podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Hey friends, Danielle here. If you're new to Wholeheartedly, you may not know that I offer virtual parent coaching consultations. If you feel like you've tried every parenting strategy under the sun and none of them are really working, or if you and your partner do not agree about what the best approach is in the moment, And if you can't seem to get it together and stay calm like you want to, you are not alone. Who knew parenting was going to be this hard? As your parent coach, I help you revamp your child's behavior, establish new routines, improve your relationships, and help you feel like you know what you're doing. Find more information at my website, parentingwholeheartedly.com. As a new client and podcast listener, enter the promo code PODCAST for $25 off your consultation. I can't wait to work with you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Jack Pryor. What? A dad? I know. Get excited. It's a special Father's Day episode. If you've listened to this podcast from the beginning, you'll remember I interviewed Laura Pryor on the very first episode, and today I get to chat with her husband. Like I said in that episode, I got to work with Jack and Laura through parent coaching last summer, and I'm not just saying this to be nice. Jack was very open and engaged in the process and asked such great questions while processing our conversations. Today, he's sharing his story in hopes of shedding some light for men, new dads, or dads needing help navigating their extended family relationships. Welcome, Jack. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. It's nice to be here. So this podcast is called Failing Motherhood, but I've heard from several friends that their husbands have been listening to the podcast too, and that they resonate with feeling like they're failing fatherhood. Have you ever felt like you were failing? Uh, only, only all the time. <laughs> Every day. Welcome to the club, officially. <laughs> I'm so thankful you're willing to share more of your personal story and journey today, but before you do... What do you think are the unique challenges that are facing dads currently in this generation? Um, well, it's hard to it's hard to narrow it down just to parenthood because you know being an adult means you have to think about everything all the time. The struggles for dads is similar to the struggles 
for our moms. And that is in the early going, um, you, you don't, you don't flick a switch and become a parent just because the baby's born. Um, I, I, I know from what I understand for, for women, there are certain changes in psychology and, and chemistry and things that take place like starting at postpartum and, you know, which is the, what we, you know, we, we've heard it described as the after pregnancy glow and postpartum depression, all this other stuff. There's a lot of better understanding as to how uh, moms change. Um, but for men, it's, it's, it's different. We don't undergo this huge physical trauma. Uh, so everything is mental, everything psychological. And I think the first and big thing is the, it's the thing that follows up the big reaction after you're told you're going to become a father. When you're told you're going to become a father, it's, uh oh, I'm gonna be a dad. Oh no! <laughs> but oh yes! Oh my god, I'm gonna be a dad. But oh no! Right. My dad was a prick, but I loved my dad. He's my best bud. Oh, we're gonna do all this stuff together. Oh man! <laughs> How am I gonna do this? So, yeah, no pressure. Yeah. And then once the baby arrives, you know, and, and he or she or uh, they are, are in the world, um, I still remember the first night, and the first night was just, okay, we're here now. Um, so should I, should I go to bed? Should I be rested? Like, I guess I should. Uh, I mean, I might have to get up, so I may, I might want to sleep in, in case I got to help out or, or, you know, you don't know. And, you know, in the United States, of course, they don't have paid, they don't really have really have paid leave for parents. Um, my wife had to take off work. I happen to have vacation days saved up, but that was it. You know, she didn't get paid cause she's self-employed. Obviously, I didn't get to use my vacation days for anything else the whole rest of the year. So it's and, and then there are people who don't even have that luxury. So there's that additional trial because it's almost like when you're you're the father, you're almost expected just to pick up and go right off to work again. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you have to because you're now the only paycheck earner in the house now. So there's the constant barrage of responsibilities that did not happen before. Um, even when I was in the military, um, it didn't feel that constant and chaotic. Uh, cause when I was in the military, you know, the chaos in most of the situations was controlled and had some sort of objective in mind. And you knew it was going to end at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, with parenting, there is no end point. There is no stopping point. I mean, uh, for the five years or so, my wife, my daughter's been on this planet. Um, there's always a new challenge. There's always a new thing being presented. And so anyway, if I try to go back to the, to the early part, to the beginning part, um, 
what makes it tough is you have to decentralize yourself from your own life. Mm. And I think maybe, maybe that sort of thing is just difficult for, for fathers in a, in a particular way. I don't really know. Um, but you know, your child mind wants nurturing comfort, play, creativity, imagination. And I know what it's like to be an adult man with no children. And that was very easy to fill that time with all those things. You know, you had hobbies, you could go out to eat, you could travel, you could just sleep in, you could Netflix and chill. You could do (laughs) endless, almost endless things. Oh, it sounds so amazing. (laughs) When you're you're not working, you know, it's like, I mean, I remember the year before Laura got pregnant, uh, I was in two bands and I wrote uh, my first draft for a novel ever. You know, I just sat down and did it. Oh, November's National Novel Writing Month. I'll just sit down and write a novel. No problem. I'll just watch TV and write. Like you do. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know. Got it all done. You know, my 50,000 words or whatever it was. Good job. And then, you know, I, if I had extra money, I'd go buy something I liked, you know, stop yeah. by the craft beer store, you know, that kind of thing. Go get a gym membership. I used to lift weights all the time. You know, I had <laughs> yeah. a life. I had such a beautiful life. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but when Mina came along, uh, you realize, yeah, there's where it's not even just the time. It's the energy. Like where do I, where am I going to get the energy to do this stuff? Much less the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause babies are so hard. Um, and I'm not going to, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but yeah, I was, I was pretty involved with my daughter. I still am. I, I got involved right away. I didn't want to be, well, I didn't want to be like my dad who expected mm-hmm. his wife to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I changed diapers. I stayed up. Uh, she was a fussy baby, so she wouldn't lay down in a crib. So I would get those um, wraps, mm-hmm. you know, and I would wrap her to my body and I would stand up and rock back and forth for two hours, three hours. And uh, there were times where I actually had a tablet <clears throat> And I had Amazon Kindle, the app on the tablet, and I would just prop the uh, Kindle on the back of my daughter <laughs> and hold it there while she slept. And then I would read, standing up, uh-huh. and uh, I would run Spotify through a Bluetooth speaker. And all the lights were out in the house. They had to be out or she wouldn't sleep. So I would turn off all the lights, turn on the speaker, put the, red, the blue fil- light filter on my tablet. And then I would open the blinds because we have a street light outside. So there'd be some ambient light, Uh total darkness. But for the first six or seven months of my daughter's life, that was my life. Oh, boy. Just constant darkness. Um, Yeah. It's quite a transition. Yeah. Being alone in one form or another, but not really because she was there, but my wife was asleep. Or when she went back to work, she was at work. 
or she was completely sacked out, cried out, tired, going through postpartum depression or just sheer exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the first six months especially were some of the most depressing and intense months of my whole life because I still had to go to work on top of this too. Yeah. And, and I had early shifts, so I would get to work at like 5, 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. And uh, so it would be dark when I got to work. <laughs> yeah. I would basically see the sunlight for a few hours a day. Yeah. And <laughs> did you get- have other friends that were going through this transition around the same time as you that you could kind of like talk these things out with? Nope. Not at all. Uh, the closest person... I had in my life would probably been my brother, but my brother and I have never had a close relationship. And while all this stuff was happening, this was all back in 2015 or 20. Yeah. 2015. Cause she was born in late 2014. I basically had a huge row and a huge falling out with my, uh, immediate family. Mm. So my relationships grew estranged with my father, my mother and my brother. My brother already had a kid by that point. I more or less lost my relationships with all three of them. So we were already geographically separated because I'm not originally from Nebraska. Um, uh, I was born and raised in Missouri. So by that point, I already had transplanted to Nebraska and I only saw my family maybe once or twice a year at at best. Now that with uh, our daughter, and the you know the big falling out i was pretty much all alone mm-hmm. uh, my in-laws live like an hour away so what i mean dark and depressing and alone i mean mm-hmm. very very alone wow Nobody, no family no nothing um and as far as friends uh that was kind of another grief process really was the fact that your childless friends more or less abandon you and Mm -hmm. your friends with kids can't come see you because they're too busy with their kids. Yeah. That's the reality. The, 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 there's no village. Um, and I had very vivid reminders that I had a huge, big Catholic family that I grew up in, in Missouri, aunts, uncles, cousins everywhere. Mm -hmm. I I went to my grandparents' house all the time. Both sets of grandparents were still alive. I still had, I think all of my great grandparents and my great, great grandmother were all alive when I was a kid. So Mm -hmm. when I went to family gatherings, that was an all day thing. And somebody was always coming by or we were always visiting somebody. And that lasted through a good portion of my childhood. So I had a village. I got lucky. Mm-hmm. So here I was now is my turn. And I've got my kid and I'm physically, emotionally, psychologically estranged, distant, removed from everyone yeah. And, and all those great grandparents, they're all dead. And my great, great grandma's dead. And, you know, not even some of my grandparents are dead. 
So it's like there's no, there's nothing. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. Man, talk about alone. Did you have good examples of parenting from your childhood that you could go off of? Like, were your instincts helpful? Uh, it was kind of scattered, but um, I'd say with, well, it's kind of uh, hard to just, I'll, I'll be frank. Uh, my parents weren't uh, weren't like tyrants. They weren't neglectful tyrants who just slapped me around constantly or starved me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they put food on the table. They put clothes on my back. And for a lot of parents, that's that's all they feel like they have to do. And the job is done. And you mm-hmm. should just be grateful that you have it. And that's the world they came from. Is that you should be grateful. You should be so grateful that I work hard for you and I do all this stuff for you. But the thing is, is that is the parent shifting all the burden, all the responsibility into the child. Mm-hmm. And when you're constantly telling your child, you should be grateful you have anything at all, which is what I was told constantly. You're basically being told you weren't worthy to have it in the first place. That. This, this is all privilege. You having food. Thanks for the privilege, mom. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for having food. Uh, thanks for having presents at Christmas. You know, it's like, you know, cause there was that thing. It's like, you should be grateful. You got anything. My, my mother loved to roll out the stories cause she was a Navy brat. Oh my, your grandmother would go through and throw everything away. Every single time we moved, you should be so grateful to get this. And it was just like, Thanks for letting me enjoy this. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for making it all about you. Uh, There was a lot of that and a lot of uh, stuff like with my father, it seemed like. And and this this kind of hone it on to dads. Um, For my dad, it felt like if if it wasn't tied to his interests, it's like he didn't care at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I mentioned sports earlier. For him, sports, especially golfing, fishing, hunting, um, you know, he was, he's really into that stuff. And back when he still did visit me, we would have to go to the archery shop. We would have to go to Shields because Shields, oh, I don't have Shields back at St. Charles. We got to go to Shields, you know, that kind of stuff. And that it's not, that's not bad. I'm saying is that if it felt outside those narrow confines, it may as well not exist. Mm-hmm. So when I developed an interest in art, music, I said I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to go to college and be a graphic designer. Those things were kind of met with kind of indifference. Um, and so that means, you know, you have this father who's not, yeah, he's not telling you you're a bum and a failure every minute, but he's definitely kind of giving you the cold shoulder and, Oh, well, you're, at least your brother likes fish and I'll just go hang out with him. So mm. yeah. after a while, you just feel like a, an outcast in your own home. So, and, and I'm, I'm talking about that stuff, not so that people feel sorry for me. It's just right. that you bring all that stuff, whatever your experiences are, whatever you went through, you bring it into your, your parenthood. So when you become a father how your father treated you, how your father parented, the model that he created, the example that he set, you're probably going to start working from it. 
Mm-hmm. And you may blindly start copying it, and there are parts of it you will blindly copy because if you've never sat down and examined why, why he did these things this way, why would he say this? What, how did that impact me? How did that change me and how I see the world, how I relate to people? How do I relate to authority and power? Um, if you don't think about that stuff, well, yeah, you're just going to blindly copy how he, how he did things and you're going to accept, well, you know, dad did what his best. He did what he could. It's like, well, if that slapped you around a lot, no, he didn't. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if he told you you were a bum or you're worthless or he just ignored you, no, he didn't do his best. If you go and start copying that yourself, you're not doing your best either. You're just going with the path of least resistance, which is what us humans tend to do way too much. Yeah. So, um, I feel like a lot of parents will consciously say, I want to do different than my parents. They spanked me or they use corporal punishment and I'm not going to do that. But then that's kind of like the end of the reflection and the, you know, intentionality that they're bringing into their style of parenting. Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's, uh, you know, we, we don't do corporal punishment either, but, uh, you know, the, the reflection did not, the introspection and stuff that didn't stop there for me, because I happened to be going through this struggle with my family at the exact same time that I was trying to figure out how to be a father. I was acquiring new information all the time. So I was going to therapy. I was reading books. I was talking to my professionally credentialed wife about mental health and like, what is that? What does this concept mean? What is this definition? I heard you say this the other day. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was having these, I, I had an advantage that some people aren't going to have, but, um, it still forced me to question everything about myself because parenting does do that anyway. Yep. Um, but it also forced me to reevaluate who I was like down, down to the, the, to the, to the bone who I was is like, did I just want to continue accepting the model that I've been given the roles I've been assigned, the culture that I've been raised in, or do I want to do something different? Yeah. Eventually I decided I, wanted to do something different, but my choice to do that, it, it radically changed my relationships with everyone in my life, including my immediate, immediate family. And one of the things that fell by the wayside was that relationship. That's huge. Yeah. That's a scary place to be, uh, you know, deciding that knowing what's at risk with those relationships that essentially create your whole identity for the first 18 years of your life. So being able to risk those as well as step into the unknown and say, I want to show up differently. I want to do this differently, but I don't even have tools in that toolbox yet. Like that's empty. (laughs) That that's an overwhelming, scary place to be. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It was definitely like going into the wilderness with a stick and a rock. (laughs) All right. Let's find some water. Shelter. Yeah. No big deal. Just starting from scratch. (laughs) Hey, baby, you little baby, come with me. We're going to go into the wilderness and get some food. I'm going to figure out which plants are edible. And then when I figure that out, I'm going to give them to you. 
Yeah, and I'm sure she waited patiently by while you did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because if there's one thing my daughter is, it's patient. <laughs> yeah, uh, from what I know about her, she's um, a little bit of a pistol. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, one of these days, you know, I've been having that adult conversation with her. It's like, you know, why did you only have one kid? Why don't I know my grandparents? Why don't I know my uncle and my aunt very well? And why did we never do this? Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, uh, so there's this woman named Danielle, and I <laughs> I was on her podcast about 20 years ago. So let's dig up that episode. <laughs> there you go. This is why we only had you. <laughs> And she will get it when she yeah. becomes a parent herself. Oh, yeah. Or if she's like, not a parent. She'll be like, oh, God, you're such an asshole. Be like, yeah, you're such well, a terrible dad. That's not, ter- <laughs> that's not wholly inaccurate, but it's not 100% true either. Right. Uh, but, yeah, so I guess my parenting journey, if I could sum mine up, and I, I hope I hope this is relatable to the dads out there, mm-hmm. uh, is, yeah, basically I had to destroy myself um, and then start over. And I have to say the starting over isn't done. Mm. Um, it's the destruction happened a lot quicker than the rebuilding process. I, I would consider very much consider that ongoing. And, and yes, I'm still trying to raise my daughter at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That never stops. <laughs> <laughs> no hitting pause just to like figure some things out and read some books and then tap back in. Yep, no soul-searching cross-country motorcycle ride for me. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds lovely, though. Yeah. (laughs) So how have you grown? What realizations did you have? How have you kind of compiled a parenting plan, all the things? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm not going to say I leave the planning to my wife. I don't. It's that we have very different approaches to planning. I am the type of person who kind of just goes out there and I start trying stuff and I I have to learn tactically. Uh, There's a word for it um, where you learn by doing, performing, practicing. Mm -hmm. So I have to kind of go in, screw up, cuss a lot, walk (laughs) away, come back, start over, and then have that breakthrough. So that doesn't really work very well with a lot of rigid planning because the plans always blow up. Mm. And uh, so with the kid, a kid is like a just constant fire that never goes out. And, and and the thing that fuels the fire are your plans. So Mm. your hopes, your future for the future, your dreams, they just, burn them all up because every time <laughs> every time you step in and be like hey we're gonna do this today no i don't want to you know it's like <laughs> uh well i guess it's time to negotiate the hostage out again <laughs> uh, it's so true so, so much for the zoo right <laughs> i guess we're not gonna get there before the crowds or the nope. heat no nope. um so that's 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 parenting and my experience. Like Laura studies, researches, and she brings her huge professional background into it. So when you talk to her about parenting, you're getting like half lived 
experience, half clinical opinion, mm. you know, with like some sprinkling of background and theory and stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. With me, you're getting like, so I didn't know how to build a cabin. So I just went to the woods and started cutting trees down. And anyway, here you go. Here's my cabin. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. the difference. Yeah. You, I mean, and that's what we have to do is, is, take what we know and then apply it to the kid that's in front of us because we can know a million theories and think about what's best. But until we apply it to the kid with their opinion and their personality and their full selves in front of us, each one that we're handed is very different. And the things that resonate and communicate well and relate well to one kid are just not going to work for the other. And so like there is no preparing for parenthood, but at the same time, there's a lot you can do once you kind of know what you're dealing with to really understand them and figure out what works for them. And like, what what did that look like for you when you realized that you were handed a very strong-willed one? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I'll try it this way, um, <laughs> and I'll see if this answers your question. Okay. Um, so I think my wife talked a lot about how she had ideas of what kind of mom she would be and what she would do because she did do a lot of studying before uh-huh. the test, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, and I just drew pictures on the answer, answering sheet. Um, <laughs> that's kind of what saved me through all those dark times I described. I didn't have a vision as to what kind of father I would be. I never mm-hmm. thought I would be a father. I didn't avoid it. You know, once we started talking about having a child, I was just like, uh, well, okay, you know, might as well do it now because I'm not getting any younger. Mm-hmm. And there really is no perfect, ideal, rational time to have a child. In fact, I remember when we decided to have the child, it was like, we're going to reason our way out of this every time. Yeah. Because 10 a.m. brunch is just that good. It's so it's, good. It's so- <laughs> Sleeping in is just that awesome. It is. <laughs> Never going to lose its appeal, ever. No. <laughs> so kind of have to just go in and do it. Yeah. So when uh, when we get, I went into that whole thing, all the literal and emotional darkness. The thing that kept me going is that, all right, I I have no, I have no expectations to project onto this kid. Because uh-huh. I had no idea she was ever even going to be here. However, <laughs> and I think this gets to the core of your question. She never, ever, ever stops. <laughs> Not even for a second. Like, I can't put her down. I can't lay her in a bassinet. Not in a crib. Not in one of those swings. Uh-huh. I can't put her in a... I can't remember the names, all these things anymore, but you know, (laughs) you set them in there and it's got like the, the dish around it. It's on wheels and they can flick rattles and stuff. Like she wouldn't do those. It's like, God, exercise. Is that what those are called? Yeah. Like that. (laughs) Yeah. And like, she wouldn't use, you know, those walkers and things like she had to be on one of us when she was a baby all the time. I had to carry her everywhere i could never set her down i couldn't use the bathroom while my wife was at work 
I would just hold it all day. <laughs> That's exhausting. And because where am I going to put her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then she would take her naps on me and then she'd wake up. And then when she was still, you know, it was a combo of breast and bottle feeding. You know, my wife would pump, but you know, you got to warm up the milk. And while I'm warming it up and I'm waiting for a little timer to ding, she's just screaming at me. And I have no distance. It's right there in my ear. Mm. Um, and then when we finally broke and we're like, okay, we didn't want to sleep train because it's really just cry it out. You can call it all the names you want. It's cry it out. Um, Laura couldn't handle it. So guess who had to sit there? Next oh. to the crib. <laughs> yeah, just to sit there, just get screamed at. Yeah. Just like now. <laughs> It is wait that 30 to 45 minutes before she would pass out. And oh. then I could actually hear in the background over all that. I could actually hear my wife sob in the shower. Oh, my gosh. She didn't want to do cry it out. And yeah. doing cry it out broke her spirit. But it's like she, we were at that point where Mina would not even sleep like on me anymore. She would constantly wake up. So oh. we were we were at the point where it's like. How is this kid ever, ever going to get to sleep? And yeah. if she doesn't get to sleep, how are we ever going to get to sleep? It's like right. been eight months. Oh, my gosh. That's so, such a long time. Yeah. So we were we were at a breaking point. So we had to make that hard choice to be like, all right, I'm going to sit here. And she's just going to scream at me until she gets tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the strong-willed child. That's my experience with it in the er, initial going. Yeah. <laughs> and then they keep growing up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was it was like a switch. So like her first birthday, um, she was starting to talk, hadn't quite mastered walking yet. I have to say my daughter refused to crawl. She wanted to go straight to walking. Um, and she did. Uh-huh. Eventually. Um, I remember that day. It's like a switch went off. She was just starting to put little sentences together and stuff. And then I remember her going, no, I don't like that. And I was like, we didn't even get a day. (laughs) We didn't even get a day. She's now full on 110% toddler. We didn't even get a minute. She went from baby, boom, toddler. Oh, that is rough. And then by two years old, it was, no, I don't. And I need more. I need more chips. I need more milk. It was just like, mm-hmm. like I remember telling Laura one time, you know, like every prototypical toddler behavior, like all of them, the screaming, the tantrums, the running around, the drawing on stuff. She literally hit every. It's like she had a checklist and she had to hit them all. Every single one. It's like stuff involving poop. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, trying to potty train and like we were sending her to this school that refused to do um, training pants. It's like, nope, we put the kids straight in their underwear and if they soil their undies, they soil their undies and they got to keep doing it until they figure it out. Oh boy. And you got to do it at home because we're not, you can't send your kid to, kid to school with pull-ups. I was like, great. So she peed on the floor a bunch of times, pooped her underwear, 
And then you, she would do the thing where she would go to the corner to hide it. Uh-huh. Or if she started playing with her play kitchen, guaranteed every time she had to poop. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> every time. Um, oh, man. Yeah, it was just... <laughs> Did you start to realize that some of the behaviors were, like, specific hot buttons for you? Like, triggers that, um, like, your personality is just, like, uh, butted yeah. heads? Um, yeah. Uh, that, yes. <laughs> and, and the problem is it, it constantly changes because she f- frequently finds new stuff that I didn't realize how much I hated until she started doing Isn't it. Isn't that fun? Like... <laughs> I know people don't like stuff it pointed at in their face. Everyone who who really enjoys that. Mm-hmm. Nobody really. But it's like my daughter realized, oh, dad really hates stuff being pointed in his face. Like fingers, my toys, this stick, a fork. Here, I'm going to grab this butter knife or this Harry Potter knife of mine. It was just like. It was constant. Like she, like she's gotten a little bit better because she's five and a half now. You can communicate with her better. Mm-hmm. But uh, like when she's not on her ADHD medication, or she's really tired, which makes ADHD worse, mm-hmm. um, or she hasn't had enough protein that day, which also makes it worse. Um, yeah, it's like stuff is always coming in in my face. I, I, I don't know why I just said coming in my face, but uh, <laughs> we can edit going, that out. <laughs> it's going into my face. It's going like being pointed, jabbed, uh-huh. swung. Yeah. Uh, Who I knew? Also, Who knew that that yeah. would be a thing? Yeah. Uh, another thing I, it's like, I'm really conscientious. I didn't realize how bad I was about this. I'm really conscientious about taking care of my stuff. Like I'm not, a, I've never really been a really messy person, but not a super clean person either. Laura, her life is organizing and rearranging things, sometimes to my consternation, but (laughs) it it enables my own tendency to be tidy, and I like to take care of my stuff. It's a big deal to me. Uh, So Mina is always grabbing something and is either going to swing it around in the vicinity of something that could get smashed or in the vicinity of something that could get scratched or a gash or some sort of damage to it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those deals where it's like, I, I'm also the homeowner here. Right. <laughs> so that means every time it breaks or is damaged or destroyed, I'm on the hook for fixing or replacing it. And I've already got enough around here that has to get fixed and replaced all the time. That's like, aggravating. Yeah. Now she's adding more. <laughs> right. I already spent like this whole spring tearing down my deck and now I got to fix this. I got to replace that, repair that. Uh, so when she starts swinging stuff around, I, I, I find myself just going, put it down. Please. As the vein on my forehead starts. To right. Turn. Yeah. Do you, do you have it? Any struggles with staying calm or showing up and being the parent that you want to be? Yeah, all the time. Uh, my parents were not, they hit, but they weren't hitters. There's like a difference, mm-hmm. you know, like the people who would habitually physically abuse their children uh-huh. and the parents, they would just occasionally do it. 
and and those because that's the socially acceptable form of child abuse is only occasionally spanking your kid. Um, but they were yellers and lecturers and berators. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, I did find myself picking up the habit. My my dad especially is a lecturer. You know, he he, he really wants to grind you down and talk down to you and make you feel small. Mm-hmm. And I would find myself lecturing this three-year-old which is in hindsight the dumbest thing ever because like why am i trying to why am i even trying to logic with the three-year-old like my my wife would call me out on that all the time jack she's three she does not know logic what are you doing (laughs) and i but you you find yourself in that moment spiraling you don't know what to do so you're you're reverting to the model you were taught and if the model you were taught was flawed or dysfunctional well it's going to be flawed or dysfunctional right um so and yeah there are times where i've yelled at her like not thankfully not to the mean way that my parents would do it but definitely that what are you doing you're gonna get yourself killed Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of stuff you're driving me crazy Mm -hmm. um that kind of stuff uh but yeah, th- those are the moments where I, it's like, yeah, I'm, 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 I've screwed up. You know, I, I've stopped being the adult in the room, but I've decided to become the other child in the room. That's really what it is. Even mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you're going to yell at your kid and it's not, you know, something on the order of put that sharp object down before it goes through your body mm-hmm. or get out of that road before you get run over. If you're not trying to save their life from mortal peril, mm-hmm. uh, you are more than likely just taking your aggression out on them. And it really isn't even about them at that point. It really is about you and the loss of control that you're you're feeling and it bothers you. Um, That's a hard so, pill to swallow. Yeah. So there are moments in my life where I've had to sit down and you know, part of also being the adult means if you want your kid to apologize to people and face up and own up, that means you have to do it when you are, you know, wrong towards your child. So I've had to apologize to a three-year-old later than a four-year-old and a five-year-old, you know, be like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry that I did this thing mm-hmm. and I have to own up why I did it. Good for you. We've all been there for sure. It's so hard. But yeah, it's having that awareness in that moment of, is this about them or is this about me? Am I like reverting back? Yeah. To like the instincts or am I not at all showing up because I'm so stressed out or overtired or all of the things that we come to those interactions with as parents because our lives aren't compartmentalized and like parent is like the thing we turn on and off. It's like we are just ourselves with mm-hmm. all of the adult things going on all the time, and then we just have to constantly be pouring into this this kid that drains us of everything. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, this is kind of why I hate parenting advice. Uh, for like parenting coaching is different. Like I've you you've been my coach, so I know what coaching's like. It's not directive. It's not you know do these ten things. But I hate parenting advice because most of it seems to assume a lot of privilege on the part of the parent that a they have the time Mm. they have the money c they've got the support network or staff to pull this off yeah you know it's like parents you should be exercising at least an hour a day it's like what hour 2 (laughs) a.m literally 
Do I go to the gym at 2 a.m. and just not sleep? Yeah, uh, that's what it feels like. Uh, or parents, you need to be eating a full breakfast full of fruits and vegetables. It's like, I have time to swallow this oatmeal that's already cold before I leave for the day. I don't have the time to make my buffet of greens and fruits and lean meats. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so what like, what advice do you feel like you actually appreciated or like resonated with that has made a lot of sense to you or helped? Hmm. Um, or something that you learned, learned the hard way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, things I learned the hard way is pretty much all the stuff I've talked about so far. Um, but I'd say specific to dads is learn to sit with and feel your feelings. Um, men tend to express themselves either as in directive, as in the, the one way conversation, um, or they or anger. And the rest of the time we are quiet or if we're more extroverted, we're joking around. Mm-hmm. Um, we have emotions guys. We have feelings all the time. And I don't, I, I realize that your dad was tough and nothing bothered him. And he was, you know, granite faced his whole life, but that's because he was taught to swallow his emotions and probably panic cried off by himself a whole bunch that you never saw, probably. you know, um, or, or had these outbursts that he would either let go somewhere or it would come out in some other way. Cause mm-hmm. you're, that, that stuff's gonna come out. So do you want to just release it regularly? They're just expressing how you feel. Like I feel angry. I feel tired. I feel worried. I feel stressed. I feel happy. Or do you want to let the valve build up and blow out when you don't know when it's going to? Because mm. there are men that say, oh, I go hunt and fish once a year. I get all that stuff out of my mind. I like to be out in nature or helps me out. Well, what if your hunting trip gets canceled? What if you can't go that year? Yeah. What if there is a coronavirus or a flood <laughs> or a blizzard? Yeah. Well, your your outlet that you planned on having is gone. So are you going to sit around and be miserable in front of your family the whole time? Yeah. Or are you going to learn emotional intelligence and how to regulate your emotions and express yourself? And uh, so that's my big advice to men is feel your feelings. Admit you have them. Yeah. Talk about them openly. Um. I guarantee, I mean, I I shouldn't have to bait men with this, but if you want your wife to be more interested in you, you should probably be talking to her about what's on your mind. Oh, yes. And not, not, that is a turn on. (laughs) And not in the category of things that she did that you didn't like, as in the list of feelings I felt today, or I felt this way when you said this thing. Mm hmm. And not putting the onus on her to make you feel better or cheer you up, but just say, look, I just need to talk to you about this. I just need to express this. It is not an argument. It is not a fight. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm saying this is how I felt in that moment. It was the situation. It was nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. But it's just you said something this other day or it feels like you're always busy and you've always got something to do. And if they shoot back, and yes, a lot of women are going to shoot back. Well, I'm busy with this and this and this and this. And it's like, I know you're busy with this, 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 and this. Um, 
I'm just saying I, I can do some of that stuff. Uh, but we're going to have to talk about how I do things versus how you do things and maybe find some sort of common ground there. Mm-hmm. Um, that leads me to my, the other advice I have for men. Change the diapers and do the dishes. Mm. Change the diapers and do the dishes. Those are the two jobs that everyone hates doing. If you do the two jobs that everyone hates, they're not going to complain so much about the other stuff. <laughs> um, and if you want to throw a third thing in there, uh-huh. do at least some of the laundry. If you can't do it all, do yours. At least do the towels. Because that's that's the public laundry. <laughs> um well, it is. It's the only laundry that everyone uses. Uh-huh. That's true. Um, do sheets. Um, or at least, if you can't do any of those, at least do those. Do yours. Mm-hmm. Do yours. Do mm-hmm. your laundry start to finish. Clean it, dry it, fold it, put it away. Take it completely off your partner's plate. That's and, great advice. Yeah. And do the dishes. So that if... If you can do those things on a regular basis all the time, like I, I, I constantly wash dishes in this house. Um, if you do those things on the or on the regular, they they tend to not focus so much on whether the floor got vacuumed, unless that's their picadillo. They just like super clean floors. Yeah, yeah. Um, that. Yeah, you know, like my like my wife does not. You know, I, I vacuum, but I don't do it regularly. I basically just go, oh, yeah, the floor is dirty. I better vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, or because, again, I hate messes, you know, and m- my daughter constantly makes messes. You know, I find myself cleaning <laughs> messes. Mm-hmm. But with Laura, she, you know, she does. She isn't getting on me about this not being done, that not being done, because I, I, I do the ones that nobody else wants to do. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Very appreciated. Yeah. So, and then of course, if you have a house with a lawn, you know, be the one that takes care of the lawn. So, but yeah, that's, that's the, I guess that's my advice. <clears throat> yeah. And asking for help. So I know that you mentioned not only are you married to Laura, but you sought out professional help to kind of process your childhood and some of the things that kind of made you, you and, and the relationship had to rethink those relationships and all of that for dads that haven't approached that work or may not feel like that applies to them or that it, they need to. Do you feel like that is a thing that's like the exception to the rule or do you feel like everyone could benefit? Uh, I believe that, uh, yes, you pretty much always do. And here's why. Uh, first of all, men have a lot of fear of going to the doctor in the first place. So if you want to add the therapist onto that, that's that's like asking them to stick a attack into their own eyeballs. Um, first thing is uh, go to the doctor. Stop being so full of yourself. Go to the doctor. Get a checkup. <laughs> Checkups are now free by law. They have to be free um, if you have health insurance. That is um, because it's preventative care. Two. Going to a therapist is another form of preventative care. Um, it doesn't have to serve as reactive. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have PTSD or you're schizophrenic or you have some other uh, mental disorder. 
in the DSM-5, it could just mean um, I, I need a mental health checkup. And there are therapists who are plenty happy to do that for mm-hmm. you to come in, sit down for an hour, do nothing but talk about yourself, because that's all therapy is. I understand, guys. All therapy is, is you go into a room and you talk about whatever you want for an hour. And the therapist just goes, oh, okay. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a therapy session. They don't sit there and go, now tell me about your childhood. It's like, if you don't want to talk about your childhood, you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, if you just want to talk about fishing, a therapist will take your money to hear you talk about <laughs> Because sometimes that's all you need. You just yeah. wanted somebody to hear about this catfish that you saw the other day. And, oh, man, I almost got it and it got away. That may be your mental therapy. Yeah, because we all want to feel heard and understood. That's real. How do you feel like doing that work has made you a better dad? Uh, It's helped me in a lot of ways. Uh, For one, I noticed that if, if my daughter's struggling with something, I now have a basis of comparison. I can go, because I, I understand my own childhood better, and it's not just a set of memories I have. It's like, no, I spent time with the, the, those feelings, those memories, those experiences. You know, I, I remembered smells, sounds, that kind of thing. Mm. So it's easier for me to put myself back in that moment, back in time, and then not just react to stuff, but also understand, okay, I realize that my daughter has just drawn me the 10,000th picture that uh, in this month, but I realize for her, it may as well be the first. Mm. So just say thank you. Just yeah. say thank you, add it to the rest. And if she <laughs> asks why, I'll be like, honey, you've made me so much art. I just keep it all together in this spot. I don't have places for all of it. Uh-huh. Um, and you know that it's like just be polite don't be critical of the art you know don't call out the art you know if you look at it just say oh really is that uh you know be wrong that's not gonna be wrong if they draw you something because mm-hmm. that they, they love it when you misidentify it because then they get to tell you what it is yeah so um stuff like that uh understand you know uh you, you probably don't always want to play with your kid, but, uh, some, you know, you, you should at least do it once a day, even if it's like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing all that work, doing all that therapy is what I'm saying is that it allows me to empathize with my, and understand my daughter better. Yeah. Cause at my, my age, I'm, I'm 40. I turned that this year. She's five and a half. Five was a long time ago for me. And, She's getting into kindergarten and, or she will be this fall. And I'm already realizing, oh man, yeah, kindergarten 1985 was not the same as 2020. So it's, you know, it makes you do those constant internal reevaluations of your assumptions. You stop making so many assumptions. That mm. and you stop imposing so many expectations on the situation, and and because I think for a lot of adults, a lot of their grief comes from the fact that things didn't turn out how I planned. Well, I'm here to tell you, 
stop having them. <laughs> stop <laughs> having plans. You have a child now. You don't get to have plans. You don't <laughs> get to have expectations. Your dreams are now dead. They burned in you the fire. They're gone. <laughs> so therapy helped me cope with the realization that, yeah, my dreams are dead. My hopes are dashed. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I ever thought I cared about or loved or knew was gone. Uh-huh. Um, I now have to start over and just start figuring stuff out. Um, but the upside is you have this person here. They have no experience. This is the first time for everything. Yeah. Like she finally rode her bike yesterday. That was her first time riding a bike. Oh, wow. So it's like, for me, this is whatever, riding a bike. But for a five-year-old, it's like, oh, yeah, I started clapping. It's like, yeah, you did it. Mm-hmm. You rode a bike. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, just, this is her first time. This is the big step. Yeah. So it's it's part of remembering, yeah, oh, yeah, this is their first time. Remember that. Right. Every, for everything. For everything. Even if they've done it before, they've already forgotten the last time they did it. This is the first time. Mm-hmm. Treat it like it's the first time. Give them that credit. Oh, I love that perspective. So much about parenting is perspective. It really is. And so the la- the last thing I wanted to ask you for the la- the last question is sure. I feel like the a uh, big issue for dads is the idea of respect. And oh. and I feel like that is like a a, a hot button thing. Um, especially when it comes to getting on the same page with your spouse and like what that looks like and feels like. But usually in our generation our parents had focused a lot on that idea of obedience equals respect. And, you know, your behavior is the manifestation of how well I'm doing as a parent. And so, therefore, if you act up, that means either that I'm not doing my job right or I'm bad or that you don't respect me. And so, like, a lot of that was, you know, commingled. And so now we're trying to pull that apart and we're just having a hard time with it. So what are your thoughts on that idea of respect? All right. So this is the question. I'm not I'm not posing it to you. I'm posing it to all the dads who might listen to this podcast today, tomorrow, or in the future. If you wanted respect, why did you have kids? <laughs> why? Why? You remember what you were like as a kid? Don't tell me you don't know how many times you flipped your dad off when he wasn't looking. <laughs> How many times you were like, when they they said something to you, don't tell me you don't remember all the times you go, I hate you, dad. You know, sometimes not even under your breath. You're like, I'll Uh take the hit. I don't care. Screw this guy. Uh Um, Why would you have kids to have respect? Having kids (laughs) means daily disrespect. Because, again, your kids don't know anything. <laughs> They're born with the gene that says, must respect dad. Right. No, they don't, even, the know you, they don't <laughs> even know who you are. They don't even know who you are when you're born. They have to be told, oh, that's your dad. Oh, by the way, what is a dad? No one tells a kid that. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they just know. It's the, here's here's this person who feeds me and and and... That is mom because, you know, I feel mm-hmm. really, really attached to her and I feel really drawn to her. Um, and she, you know, 
breastfeeds me and gives me life and all this other stuff. And then here's this giant. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you are to your child. You're a giant. Literally. And you, uh, till about puberty, even if you are only five foot five, you are the largest, biggest, strongest human being on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. So add their, their first mission, your child's first mission is to kill this giant by any means possible. (laughs) So do not have kids. If you just want respect, if you want respect, go to therapy, learn to respect yourself. Mm. But if you really need that external validation, go join the Moose Lodge or the Masonic Lodge or some sort of men's club where they just sit around and drink and talk about how great they are. Don't have kids if you want respect. Yeah. Uh, That is phenomenal advice. That is so hilarious, but so true. And (laughs) I feel like it will take that pressure and weight off of parents that are so worried about that idea of I want my kids to listen, I want them to respect me, I want them to, you know, fit into this mold that I feel like designates good behavior. And they are just on their own path of figuring life out. And they it is their job to find their voice and to have strong opinions and to feel where all the boundaries are and then try to exploit them. I mean, like that is kids, kids are being kids. That's developmentally appropriate. And it's our expectations of them that we place on them that they break. That's where we have a hard time. That's what makes us miserable. And it really is if we can have that perspective of I'm not looking to my kids to make me feel better about myself, then we can free them up to do the things that they need to do. Right. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I know too many men who uh, subscribe to this idea that I need to be an authority, I need to be in charge, I need to be respected. It's like, a lot of these guys, it's like, I've seen you face down in the dirt, drunk off your butt. No, 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 you don't. (laughs) (laughs) You're, You're not some lion. You're, you're, you're. You're a chip with clothes. That's all you are in a car. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's a, a strong mental, emotional barrier to try to push past that you feel like you need to be respected. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you respect is something you've got to have in your life, work on respecting yourself. <laughs> Don't expect everyone else to do it. Don't expect your kids to do it. Don't expect your partner to do it. Work on respecting yourself. Yeah, that is hard to swallow, but definitely necessary if your end goal is to create really good kids and be the parent that you know you really truly want to show up as. What or what do you feel like dads are most afraid to admit? That they don't know. Um, that they're utterly terrified. Uh, that they're screwed up their kids. Yeah. That they're screwing up the kids the exact way their dad screwed them up. Um, that they're going to lose their wife to someone younger, richer, um, better at this mm-hmm. than they are. 
or can solve the parenting problem with goods or money or some other thing. Um, that their dad bod is what's killing their sex life. Um, that their balding hair is what's killing it. Um, they work too much, but if they stop working, everything's going to fall apart. Um, if they don't earn that promotion, that they'll never be able to reach the next level. That uh, if they don't meet these standards, that they're not a success, they're a failure. All of that stuff, every single bit of it, it's real because it's part of our culture. But it is an, also an illusion. None of it exists. All of it was just taught. We made it up. We made it all up. None of it's real. Yes, losing your job's real. Mm-hmm. I lost my job too. Um, but being successful or whatever that looks like, being respected or whatever that looks like, it's made up. Someone made it up. And people have just been continuing the same made-up story for generation after generation. Mm-hmm. It's not a set of rules. It's not the law. No one's going to come along. And let me tell you this way. If you have a friend that you're worried about saying that you're not a real man or you're weak or you're dumb, that person's not your friend. Abuse isn't character building. It's abuse. So if you have friends that are going to abuse you because you admit that you're afraid or this isn't working for you, these standards of success are unrealistic. Um, The way my father raised me doesn't work for my kid and then someone's giving you crap for that that's their fault that's their problem Mm -hmm. that is not your problem Mm -hmm. and they they really weren't as good of a friend as you thought yeah because if they're not going to support you and stand by you and stick by the changes you're making in your life because really if you're if you're telling yourself i need to do away with this way of doing things and find something better healthier that makes me happy because if i'm if i feel fulfilled if i feel more self-respect if i feel more connected and attuned with my emotions i notice my day gets better my relationships get better and someone's trying to throw cold water on that the person throwing cold water is the, is the problem it's not you mm-hmm. so uh that's that's something i feel like that's honestly why i wanted to come on this podcast is I wanted to start getting that message out there. Yeah. So many dads need to hear that. And there's a lot of things throughout our whole conversation that they're going to hear what they needed to hear today. And that's what what I love about it. But like, those are the things we need, we do need to be talking about because they are silently thinking to themselves. They're the only one that thinks that way or the only one struggling with it. And everybody else has got it all together and they got the manual, but they didn't. And yeah, it's all, it's all really made up at the end of the day. (laughs) If I can wrap it up like this is that for any, any man that's listening there. and, And by the way, when I say man, I am including cisgendered men, trans men, anyone masculinity is fluid. It's, it can be a lot of, take a lot of forms. Um, and, and if you identify yourself as the father in your respective partnership mm-hmm. or the father like role, I, I, I don't own terms or labels. Um, it's up to you to define your relationship. Um, I guess what I'm saying is what I went through in the 
first about two years of my daughter's life is I lost uh, relationships with friends, uh, extended family, immediate family. I got disciplined at my job, written up, my uh, threats with being fired. I got slammed with a car in a car accident. You know, I got pneumonia. I got went through the whole gamut. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It, it got to the point where I, I, I felt so disconnected from myself, my family, everything I thought I was, everything I believed I was for the first uh, 35 years of my life, that I wound up legally changing my name. Mm. So Jack is, I picked that name. I named myself Jack. I went through the process to do that because it was that important to define my own identity on my own labels, on my own terms, in my own way. So oh, good for you. I'm not saying you have to go that far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am saying to the men out there that becoming a dad is a transformation. It is a metamorphosis. It's disruptive. It's violent. It's terrifying. It's continual, but it's not a hundred percent bad. Mm. And there's a lot of good. And honestly, it's worth it. It's oh, worth it. Yes. I <laughs> I have a brother-in-law that is um, expecting their first, like a few weeks after this comes out. And I, everything about this, I would love to get in his ears because I just feel like knowing that even going into it would be so nice (laughs) just to be like, okay, this is normal. Like this feels really scary and awful, but this is normal. This is what they, (laughs) what I'm supposed to expect. And I just will ride this roller coaster out and it'll be good at the end of it. (laughs) Really well. Having hope is, is everything. So thank you so much for, all of the vulnerability and your ability to share and put into such applicable words, you know, your story, but how it applies to um, so many families listening. The last question I love to ask everybody is how are you the dad that Mina needs? Uh, how am I the dad that Mina Mina needs? Um, uh, I guess it's that uh, I never stopped doing the work. That's that's how I um, I realize that the it's it's always fluid. It never stops. Um, there is no defined end point. There's only one defined end point to life. It's death. That's the only stopping point in life. So until you get there, um, you basically have to use every single one of these unpromised not guaranteed seconds that you have in the best way that you need to use them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And having the wisdom to feel good about how you're spending them. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for this episode. Super wise. All the good things. Just as good as Laura's. We'll have to pit your numbers against each other and see who wins. (laughs) She'll win. All right. Well, I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Mom or dad, I hope you heard exactly what you needed to hear today. And remember that you are the parent that your kids need. 
Next episode, I'll share a lovely discussion I had with my good friend Jocelyn as she shares all the ways she feels like she's failing. If you're loving this podcast, join our version of Patreon where you can support the show and join our exclusive community. You belong here. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on.